Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry, the science community, and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. For the past few years, myself and organisations like Beef Plus Slam have been raising concerns around afforestation and the ETS and the negative impacts monoculture forests and indeed carbon farming will have not only on the primary industry and rural communities, but there are wider environmental and economic concerns for the whole country. This is why it is so important ETS settings are reviewed and changed to put the brakes on a runaway forestry industry and the looming crisis that will ensue. It is important to remember that I believe in the right tree, in the right place and for the right job. Over the next two episodes, I'm chatting with Rob Morrison. Rob is involved with an organisation, Pure Advantage, which supports a broad range of sustainability, regenerative and green growth focused research activities that generate cutting edge theory and practice to transform how New Zealanders understand and manage the relationship between the environment and the economy. Rob joins me in this two-part series to discuss afforestation and the ETS. Rob joins me now. Hello, Rob. Thank you for your time today. Good day, Angus. You're welcome. Please, can you tell me about the work that you do? Uh, well, I do various things. So I'm by, by training, by background, I'm, I'm an investment banker. Mm-hmm. Have been for um, close to forty years now, um, but. In the time I've been back in New Zealand, I got more involved with conservation, uh, various conservation projects. Still do a little bit internationally on that, but um, yeah, basically doing doing more and more in the conservation space. I chair Pure Advantage, um, which is a, a group of business people who are concerned about where New Zealand is heading. Uh, in terms of its environmental standing, uh, particularly as we're, we're very, very reliant, particularly in our export market, on a on a clean and green image. But also, we think that New Zealand has um, a, 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 a really clear advantage in terms of being able to back, develop, um, even grow um, as the world adopts and changes, or what the world adopts and, and, and changes uh, on the back of climate change, uh, but also this, this sort of global shift to green growth. And, and we think New Zealand's really well placed if we do things cr- properly, certainly better than we're doing them at the moment, but we think New Zealand's pretty well placed in terms of taking advantage of that global shift. Um, mm. So, yeah, being involved in that, um, have some farming interests. Um, Certainly um, um, enjoy that side of things as well. Mm, mm. But, um, yeah, that's a a quick background. So, Rob, afforestation in New Zealand. Are the current ETS settings right in this country? And in particular, the issue around permanent exotic forests acting as carbon sinks or lock up and walk away forests. What's your view on that? Well, sim- simply, you know, the ETS is not currently fit for purpose. So I think that's that's abundantly clear. And um, what we're now seeing, because it's not fit for purpose and because of the policy settings around the ETS, we're seeing a misallocation of capital 
um, pr pretty much across the country, and it's an accelerating misallocation of capital. And we've seen that in the space of um, land conversion, um, people, um, uh, landowners, um, international investors, iwi chasing carbon credits, and and you know it's a euphemism, but chasing the so-called carbon farming, and and you know. It is what we're ultimately going to see is long-term, um, really devastating, I think, socioeconomic impacts, particularly in rural areas, but also um, massive biodiversity impacts. So, yeah, the, the ETS in simple terms is, is not fit for purpose currently. Mm. The government is about to release a review of the National Environmental Standards for Plantation Forestry. What are you expecting from this, if anything? Of anything, yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of ironic because because one of the things um, in the standards is when they were first set up was was um, managing, measuring, uh, monitoring the environmental impact of forestry uh, or plantation forestry or industrial forestry, call it what you like, and and what you see there is that there is a focus, sort of a micro focus on. Um, you know the the, the planting, the where, and, and to a degree, where you plant water and so on within a confined space. But there's nothing in there that looks at what's the total approach. So, what are we seeing across the country? What's the scale of the planting? At what point is is um, the planting so overweight in a particular uh, area that? Um, as a country, it becomes a strategic risk for us. And nor is there anything in those standards that says we we should we should be focused around biodiversity when we plant. What are we doing in terms of encouraging, for example, native forestry plantings? Are we putting all our eggs in one basket in terms of this massive overweight position in monoclones? So. Yeah, it's the standards again. I, I don't think currently they're fit for purpose because they're not looking in the right areas. Um, we need an overall macro strategy in terms mm. of what we're doing in forestry, and currently we don't have one as a country. Mm. Can the price of carbon units ultimately continue to rise indefinitely under the current settings? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. In, in theory, they could. Um, you know, you look at the OECD forecasts out to 2030, and they're certainly looking at quite a steeply rising price of carbon and you look at ETS equivalent ETSs to us around the world they all have different carbon prices so mm. not an exact science to it um, you know there are control mechanisms within within the current ETS um, but in theory um, yeah there's there's no reason why that carbon price won't rise where it currently sits it's it's almost the worst of of all worlds, and from the point of view that the, the price is attractive enough at, at around you know eighty dollars a ton of carbon, whatever the latest price is now, mm. but mm. attractive enough to uh, encourage this misallocation of capital. So it's attractive enough to encourage the planting of pinus radiata on an industrial scale, mm. but it's not attractive. It's not. It's not a. It's not high enough to be a, a disincentive to, uh, to to polluters and. Mm. Um, I, th I think the, the biggest mismatch in our ETS, the way it's structured, structured is that if, if you plant, go out and, and plant 
pinus radiata, and you generate um, uh, a carbon credit, a ton of, uh, of, of, of credit, that gives someone the um, offset opportunity to go out and emit a ton of carbon. But mm. it's not a, a one-for-one equation when that carbon reaches the atmosphere. Your, your, um, your, your pinus radiata, the way it's been genetically modified in New Zealand, is pretty much set to, to uh, reach peak carbon sequestration after about 30-odd years. Mm. It's all about um, the, the very rapid um, um, growth in, in terms of biomass, and it is genetically modified, significantly genetically modified to achieve short-term harvest rotations. So mm. it's a tree that's that's very suitable for that, and and there's definitely a role for that in New Zealand. I, I'm definitely not arguing against that. But as the main part of our ETS and the main uh, offset in terms of the generation of um, carbon credits that have been used to offset pollution, it's it's com- it's completely the wrong tree to be using. Mm. When carbon hits the atmosphere, we all know the science tells us it hangs around for hundreds of years, but but the impact of carbon when it hits the atmosphere is that it gets worse the longer it sits in the atmosphere. It's not like it's um, uh, it sits there and it's just a linear progression and it sort of hangs around. So after about 20, 20 or 30 years, when the trees that created the offset are either being harvested or after 40 or 50 years starting to die, the impact of that carbon is in, that, that was admitted originally, the impact of that carbon is actually increasing. So, mm. so what should have happened in the original setting was you actually you, you need to, to offset your one ton of carbon. You need two two offsets. You need two tons of offsets uh, and longer. So, mm. so you have it. We we have a complete mismatch, and um, un, unfortunately, the way. It, uh, the ETS is structured that, that's going to continue. Mm. Why are we not incentivizing and planting and regeneration of native vegetation? Surely, and based on what you're saying, surely this has a more environmental benefit long term than exotics. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. So we're we're I think we're we're a little bit um, caught to ransom by by the forestry industry. So clearly there's been a lot of investment in forestry and we've seen significant plantings and those plantings are accelerating. If you look at the um, the land use change in terms of forestry post-1989, there's, there's roughly 400,000 hectares of, of, of forestry and something like 90, 10, 90 into exotics and 10% into indigenous forests. Mm. So it, it's heavily overweighted. And, and the root cause of the problem is that the um, the lookup tables in the ETS are all weighted to Pinus radiata. Mm. Now, I think if, if you look at the ETS lookup table, there's only one lookup table for for native trees, and that's based on regenerating Carnucra Monica. So if you're sitting there with a block of land and you go, hey, I, I think I might plant some trees here, you go to the ETS, you look at the lookup tables, and it, it's all about Pinus radiata. And mm. then you look at the the, the one lookup table for native trees, and that's for for Manuka Kanuka, regenerated Manuka Kanuka, at about five or six tonnes uh, of carbon sequestration per atom. And then you go, well, that's not great because this Pinus radiata is generating, um, you know, 20 or 30. 
Mm. So you go, oh, okay, I'm going to make much more money if I do that. So so we've got this completely skewed um, uh, regulatory framework that is encouraging the planting of pilus radiata. A lot of people who are in, plants, who are in pine argue that um, you know, it's more expensive to plant natives and so on. And, and also argue wrongly that native trees don't sequester the same amount of carbon. So what we've had is a, is a, a forestry industry that's been completely weighted towards plantation uh, forestry. The research has all gone into plantation forestry. The development's gone into plantation forestry. The genetic, um, the genetic science has gone into that, and 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 we really haven't looked at our native forests and, and said, what what are we doing here? Why aren't we investing that sort of money into our native forests? And that just hasn't happened. And really, the the leadership out of MFE and out of the out of a number of governments has been been incredibly poor on this issue. Mm. I think sheep and beef um, land care research they, they estimate there's around 1.2 hectares of, of regenerating, you know, scrubland in the country. Well, if you put the same amount of effort into looking at that as as, as potential carbon sequestration sinks versus versus pinus radiata, we'd be having a completely different conversation about forestry in this country. Mm. With the continued rise of carbon credits, what about the impact this has on land values? I mean, that's surely going to make it tougher to produce food that the world can afford to buy. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no question, and that goes back to my opening remark that the ETS is, is encouraging a misallocation of capital in the country, mm. and, and it is. So if, if, if you look at productive sheep and beef country, you're now seeing land changing hands for um, anywhere between – Twelve to, to twenty thousand dollars per hectare, and, mm. and I think I've you know, certainly heard of, of some numbers higher than that. Mm. And and that's based on people's ability to plant pilus radiata and start to generate a return that is well north of what you would get if you're a sheep and beef farmer. So mm. if you're a sheep and beef farmer, depending on where you are in the country. Uh, depending on your stock ratios, what you're running, you you, you might be generating thousand twelve hundred dollars a hectare mm. as a sheep farmer so currently where the ETS sits at the moment with carbon price you're generating roughly nineteen hundred to two thousand dollars a hectare mm. carbon price continues to climb so if you if you ran on the um on the OECD forecasts and and if the carbon price in the ETS continues to climb then you know 2030 forecasts are something like $5,000 a hectare. So mm. you, you you have an anomaly. So you don't have to be Einstein to to, to, to get in there and, and, and do the do the science or do the math on, on a farm conversion. And again, mm. this is this is I think the danger for New Zealand at the moment because the, 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 we have this um, uh, uh, misallocation of capital mm. that's not just dangerous in the sense that we will we will lose farmland. Um, you know, some people who will argue that you know reducing the amount of farmland is is a good thing. But certainly, I I don't argue that. 
but but what it will do is hollow out rural communities. What it will do is 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 create the long term potential for for an ecological disaster. But if mm. you if you look at the simple numbers, if if you went and looked at a sheep and beef property, and and these are not isolated cases. I mean, you saw it just the other day, Terafiti, um, two two big farms being sold there, mm. uh, another one down in Gore. I mean, these have been you know, farmland farms have been sold every week for conversion to forestry. Um, but if you did, if you looked at the maths and you said, okay, um, you know, good sort of size property, eight hundred hectare property, and and the providing prices, as I said earlier, somewhere between ten and twenty thousand dollars a hectare, so mm-hmm. say fifteen thousand. So you pay fifteen thousand dollars a hectare for eight hundred. That's um, twelve million dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then uh, you look at that and you go, okay. I don't want to pay twelve million to run sheep and beef, so I'm going to convert it to to to, um, to forestry. At the, you know, on a long run basis, I look at it and I go, I might generate somewhere between um, two thousand and five thousand dollars a hectare. So say say three thousand. So mm-hmm. I get it all planted. Uh, I bang it in the ETS, and particularly if this category, this new category of, of permanent forestry includes pine, I bang it in there and I say, thanks very much, New Zealand, because I will now leave it, I'll start generating some cash, and in about 35 or 40 years, my gross margin, if I average $3,000 a hectare over those next 30 or 40 years, I will have gross revenue of over $70 million. Mm. Well, at that point, buying the land, the the twelve million that I outlaid originally, that's irrelevant to me. Then I go, hell, at forty or fifty years, these pines that I've planted are starting to die. And I'm not going to go through the cost of cutting them down, and and going through and replanting them and re-entering the ETS. So I'll go. Thanks very much, New Zealand. I'll walk away, and you can look after the mess. Mm. And I'm I'm very wealthy. Mm. And and why wouldn't you do that? Because legally you're entitled to do that. New Zealand's primary industry needs a high-level strategy, which includes government, the science community, industry, and farmers to ensure New Zealand's image and our reality is a sustainable farming future. This needs to be captivated. This includes native vegetation on farms sequestering carbon. It includes increased biodiversity. It is a mixed farming model which does include pine trees, but it should not include the endless expansion of monoculture exotic forests. Nor should we allow big industry emitters to dump their pollution on good productive farmland through the ETS in the current manner that they are. Large-scale afforestation is short-sighted and will not serve this country well in the long run. New Zealand's story should be one of sustainable food production which supports and enhances our natural environment. We now live in a world where the market is increasingly demanding sustainably sourced food and traceability. So we need to be driving this change in the right manner. We need to be keeping pace and exceeding market expectations. This will, in the long run, allow us to command a premium for our products and farmers will be able to reap what they have sown and benefit with increased farm gate returns and an improved environment for their efforts. That's all from me this week.
Thank you for listening and catch you next time.